This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Heritage Radio Network Week in Review. I hope it's welcome back. I hope you've joined us before. If not, welcome for the first time to the Heritage Radio Network Week in Review. My name is Jack Inslee, the executive producer here in the studio at Heritage Radio Network, and I'm joined by the one and only Aaron Fairbanks, executive director of Heritage Radio Network. What's up, Aaron? All is good. All is good. I'm happy, 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 happy for the warm spring weather, so like... Everything is on 10. Yeah, the sound of the birds this morning was, it was really crazy. great. I saw a cardinal and a blue jay and a robin in my backyard. Wow. It made me feel like I knew something about birds, but that's like <laughs> actually the extent. You just named three birds. That's, <laughs> that's all of them. That's done. like all I know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, well, if you're joining us for the first time, this is where we try to distill the, uh, the, the, the bounty of content that we have on a weekly basis here at the network we do about 35 weekly shows and we are trying to distill that into a little 25 minute package for you for your weekends you can get all caught up with the world of food and everything happening here at the network and how we like to start this show is by sharing our last great bite Aaron, what is the last great thing you ate I had um, so many good noms on Wednesday night. Um, I was dining out at Huertas, a Basque-inspired restaurant over in the East Village. It's 107 First Ave. Good friend, um, Jonah, is the chef owner there. We cooked together um, back at Savoy. He's got such an interesting story. He literally started um, staging in the kitchens of Chanterelle when he was like 13 or 14. And so he's like this 27, 28-year-old man with like 15 years of professional cooking experience kind of wild um but he's always had an obsession with spain and was really looking to do something that was kind of between the very kind of workaday spanish style restaurants you see in the city and the super um modernist cuisine um fancy pants spanish and the result is huertas which is super chill and delicious i went with a group of friends we had their nuestras manos which is the kind of chef selection super affordable 65 bucks like so many courses um, lots of really delicious egg dishes. One of my favorites was like the torta with blood sausage, but probably the biggest standout was one of the simplest things. It was a side dish that came out with the turbo and it was just a mix of fresh peas and artichokes. And I don't know. I'm just like, I want it to be spring so bad yeah, that really, like right? something just like light and green and vegetal was, um, made me smile. Awesome. I'm uh, happy to report that I'm back on the home cooking kick. Good. After all Good that for travel. your health. Oh, Good for man. your health. I'm back. I cooked some some really great things out of the Madura Jaffrey book that I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, including a cashmere spinach, which was really good. Like just cooking the spinach until it becomes like a freaking pesto, you know, Um, and that was really delicious. But the real highlight of of my week was cooking the vegetarian pho from Lucas Volger's book, Bull. Of course, Lucas joined us last week on the Week in Review uh, from Jerry Magazine. 
And let me tell you, me and my girlfriend Odetta, we went down to Sunset Park. We went to Fei Long, I believe it's called, the kind of Chinatown supermarket down there. Um, so they had all the produce we needed, all the you know stalks of lemongrass and everything else we needed to put this thing together. And it was unbelievable. A really, really, really rich vegetarian recipe that only took an hour to make the stock, which included... Um, what was in there? Dried shiitakes and daikon radish and lemongrass and all the delicious things. Did you smash the grass? I did. I smashed the grass. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. Had, pro, to, had to. Pro tips. You got to bruise up that lemongrass pretty good to get the full yeah, flavor out of it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because in reading the recipe, I was like, what does he mean by smash the lemongrass? And then you kind of take the the side of the knife, you know, the handle, and you just push down and you're like, oh, I see. <laughs> this makes sense. You literally smash it and then you're, all of a sudden your like, house fills with the scent of, I don't know, like... Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles. Oh, it's such a good smell. So delicious. Yeah. I also uh, made some simple syrup with the remaining stocks and trying to see what I can do cocktail-wise with that lemongrass syrup. Mm, keep us posted. Something, I'm imagining. Um, so, yeah, happy that I'm back on the cooking front. Thank you, Lucas Volger. Uh, Michael Harlan Turkel actually shot the photos in that book. It's a really, really good book. All vegetarian, all bowls, as the title would suggest. Quack, quack. Ramens and fuzz and soups and all kinds of deliciousness. So, uh Thank you, Lucas. And with that, I suppose we should move into the studio and listen to some clips from the week. Another excellent week in the studio, Aaron. Can you believe it? Um, I've come to expect just as much, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Uh, Jen Liuzzi, host of Tech Bites, one of my favorite shows on the networks, intersections of tech and food, and as she says, not the modernist cuisine that Dave Arnold speaks of. Um, no, no cooking gadgets, but technology, apps, uh, computers and logistics. Uh, logistics, exactly. And uh, this week, she she had on the round table founder, Andrew Johnson. Roundtable is uh, kind of an app that was designed to combat Yelp, and it's populated by questions that are voiced by people in the industry, so a real like insider's Yelp, and uh, every question is tied to a profile of somebody. It's it's kind of a cool app. I, I did sign up for it. I've been... Uh, I've been, what do you call it, lurking? That's what that's what you call it when you just kind of like look and don't contribute. But I'll, I'll try to contribute soon. Uh, anyway, let's let's take a listen to to a little clip of her talking to the founder of Roundtable. And for every great restaurant, there's a bad restaurant. But in that bad restaurant, everybody who works there thinks it's great. So, you know, it's sort of like yep. everyone thinks they have a great sense of humor, even people who don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I understand sort of the allure from the public-facing side of, yes, the restaurant industry. These are people who um, are going to make great recommendations. They're definitely people who have more information about the industry. Oh, yeah, this restaurant gets their fish from there. They use this wine buyer. They only, you know, have this kind of cocktail. They, you know, buy their bread from the same place. They make their bread in-house. You know, they definitely have more information. But are they better equipped to make a recommendation? I don't know. I think it, it, it winds up being just very personal. Do you, do you agree with that person? And does their point of view resonate with yours, regardless of, of like, where they come from? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you hear that a lot. Uh, people, they say, yeah, like, 
okay, an executive chef recommended this, but how do I know that he has the same taste that I do? Right. And do I like his restaurant? (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. I feel like um, I love one of the other topics that came up in this conversation was the hashtag we don't negotiate with Yelpers. Um, Definitely a super interesting story about a chef out in Cambridge. Um, who created a real kind of storm uh, about a year ago when he posted on Instagram pictures of, of some customers who came in and were like threatening to write a bad Yelp review. Um, so definitely worth listening to that full it's episode. The South Park episode oh come to gosh. life. I don't know if you ever watched it, but that's, I mean, that's, really? oh my goodness. Yep. Well, I just, I think that, you know, Jen and Andrew have a great point here. And I think it comes back to the fact that, you know, word of mouth, that kind of person to person is always the the strongest recommendation it's the best pass but in the absence of that i feel like especially when you're traveling or you're somewhere maybe you don't know people that apps like this can be super useful and i know for myself when i'm looking at yelp i'm using it primarily for directions because i feel like their direction uh, function is really great but i do find looking at the star system in the aggregate can be helpful i don't often go Mm. in and look at individual reviews but if a place has had like thousands or tens of thousands of reviews um i feel like that gives you a little bit of a sense of kind of what you're walking into i can't i can't do the restaurant thing on yelp i can do the like business profiles on google like sometimes they have ratings for like services and businesses and that i might take a look at but it's funny you know i was telling andrew it's it's kind of like what i always do when i go to a new city which is like find the one cool restaurant that you can get on from researching on the internet and then like ask your server like I'm in here from New York I'm here for 48 hours where should I go this is what I like and this app is almost uh, a version of that where you don't actually have to ask the person you know you can just find them on the app I so would prefer to talk to a person but I feel like sometimes you're in a pinch I remember when I first moved to New York I would like I was so stressed because I was like wanted to be eating great food all the time and I would have like a bad sandwich for lunch and I'd be like god damn it I know there's a good sandwich and it's close and I missed it and I wasted a meal and it used to really like frustrate me, but I, I've chilled out a little bit did in you the last do that 10 on, years. Did you do that on purpose to set me up for the segue so we could talk about the sandwich A debate? little sandwich? Well, you let, let's just say, let's keep it subtle, Jack. Wow. That was really <laughs> pro, Aaron. Um, the next <laughs> clip is all about sandwiches. <laughs> so Dave Arnold, the uh, host of Cooking Issues, one of my favorite dudes here on the network, he founded the Museum of Food and Drink and uh, owns and operates Booker and Dax and the lab. And he is really the food tech guy. If you don't know him for some reason he was joined by peter kim who's the executive director of mofad and it's funny peter like all the listeners in the chat room are always like bring peter more peter brings out the crazies and dave i love it (laughs) um dave becomes unleashed around peter kim i don't really know what it is but i feel like peter inspires that in a lot of people (laughs) maybe um so they uh they got into a nice little back and forth uh about sandwiches and what you know what the best sandwiches are. Let's just maybe start this conversation with a clip. Every time Peter Kim's on, people go to sandwiches. Yes, <laughs> the tops of the list to me are Cuban. Uh, oh, me too. Yeah, Cuban. Yeah. Uh, this is not in order. The Patty tops. melt. Patty melt. If it's not considered a burger, it's a sandwich, and it's one of the finest. It's one of yes. the finest uh, burgaloids, whatever yes. you want to call the burgaloid, the burger genre. Uh, torta. Torta. Bon Tur- me. Yes, although it's not a single sandwich because you can have a variety of different bond meats, but yes. Well, there's a format to it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's a good format. Yeah. Um, what else? Turkey Club? Turkey Club. BLT. If done right. BLT. Yeah. I, like, <clears throat> BLT to me, 
superior to a turkey club. Yeah. Well, and then for me, the egg and cheese sandwich is a classic, too. Yeah? Yeah. The day after Thanksgiving cold turkey sandwich. That's also a good one. The and then bread Italian bread. cold cut sandwich is also also nice. not a specific thing. You talking yeah. about like like Philadelphia style? I'm hoagie? talking about like the the kind you get around where Mofat is. Like you get you know there's like three or four different kinds of. This, to me, this is classic. Just the, like, liking what you love the one you're with. Wait, did you say Reuben? Oh, oh Reuben's, Reuben's a, great a good sandwich. sandwich. I don't know that it makes the top though. It's good. Yeah. In other words, like I don't know. There's so many. If we're starting listing sandwiches, pastrami with mustard on yeah. rye. Yeah, it's excellent. I mean, please. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> and that went on for another, like, seven minutes. I feel like that that is a conversation that, like, literally everyone has had and people have, like, real strong emotion about, but ultimately, like, goes nowhere. <laughs> True enough. I mean, Dave is just, like, pretty intense about what qualifies as a sandwich and what doesn't qualify as a sandwich. Well, I have to say, um, this this conversation really made me think of a great uh, field report that Sam Sifton put together last April. It was, like... The Field Guide to American Sandwiches. Uh, definitely worth kind of revisiting the, the rundown of uh, uh, other, I think it's like their top of 50 sandwiches. But my mm. favorite part of that article is right at the top when they share the U.S. Department of Agriculture's definition of a sandwich. And it's like a product that contains 35% cooked meat and no more than 50% bread. Oh, my goodness. That was kind of wild, Percentages? right? That's yeah. very strange. I will say because Dave, Dave did make me realize that I think the Cuban right now might be my favorite sandwich. And I just have to, in case, the small chance that there's any listeners that are in South Beach visiting South Beach or will be visiting, you have to go to Las Olas Cafe, which is on 644 6th Street in Miami Beach. The best Cuban sandwich that I think you, you can possibly find. I, so. I might throw down with you and, and by way of kind of introducing this next clip, um, talking, we're, we're going to hear a little bit from Ari Weinswig of Zingerman's, basically home of the Midwest's greatest sandwich, sandwiches, their greatest collection of sandwiches. And I would say my favorite Zingerman sandwich is called the D-Money's Cuban Conundrum. So it's their take on a Cubano. But um some sad news this week. We, um, we, we lost someone who is an incredibly inspiring kind of writer and thinker in the world of food, the author Jim Harrison. And, um, you know, Jim was born about an hour away from where I grew up. He did a lot of writing on northern Michigan and the Upper Peninsula and, and different parts of the Pacific Northwest. And um, amazing fiction writer and an amazing food writer. He did a lot of great pieces for... Esquire, some nonfiction books, kind of uh, roving, kind of gourmand. And he he was just um, a really special character. And we called Ari up to get a little bit of um, his take and thoughts um, on Jim's passing. Well, I mean, to state what everybody who's listening probably already knows, he was a pretty amazing guy. Uh, and I think that I, I actually believe that everyone is a unique human being, but he was probably more unique than most of us, uh, if that's possible. And, you know, he was crazy, but in a really great, creative, inspiring, and powerful way. And, uh, you know, I read a lot, and his uh, books were great and especially his autobiographical work I really loved myself and found it very inspiring and uh, you know and then he 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 was from Michigan and so uh, you know there was a lot of connections through that and 
probably my first uh, memory of him, you know, personally, I hadn't heard of him, but he was food writing for Esquire. This has got to be, you could look it up, but it's probably, I don't know, late 80s maybe. And uh, he came to write about us, and I don't even think I was there, but he, they, anyway, they took him down into the prep kitchen where they were making chicken salad and you know how we've always made chicken salad is you, you roast whole chickens and then you take all the meat off the chicken and you know that's probably a lot less uncommon now uh, because the food world has evolved so much over the last 30 years but at the time it was not that common and he just couldn't get over how great it was that we were actually picking chicken meat off of chickens uh, to make chicken salad and I probably heard him tell that story to 20 people over the years and uh, you know he, he wrote very wonderful and uh, positive things about us over the years which we you know I deeply appreciate when anyone does but I guess you know as somebody who reads a lot it was it was sort of doubly uh a compliment to come from someone with his literary skills and you know who had traveled so much and who he, he didn't make his living off the food world but he cared a lot about food and uh he had a beautiful way of telling stories he really he really did and if you haven't had the chance to enjoy jim's work um you should definitely check it out. Um, probably his most well-known piece, of course, is Legends of the Fall, which was made into a movie which involved several incredibly steamy scenes with one Brad Pitt. My favorites are probably his work from the 80s, Warlock, Dalva, Sundog, but but beautiful writing on, on life and food and culture, and we are so happy to you know, have had Jim as part of the kind of literature and cultural community uh, around food. And, you know, personally, I am bummed by the fact that we're not going to see any more of his writing. But Totally. The books live on. Um, So with that, we uh, we do have one of our very own hosts on the line for the breakdown. So let's uh, move on in. All right. <laughs> we are on the line with the host of The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew. We are on the line with Andrew Friedman. Andrew is uh, an author, a, a thinker, a personality in the food world. You can check out more of his work by visiting his amazing website and blog, www.toklin.com. Stay tuned. He's got a great book coming out shortly. It's an oral history of American chefs in the 70s and 80s. I cannot wait for that. But today we are going to have Andrew give us a little bit of a breakdown on uh, the podcast he does with Jimmy and some upcoming events that he is going to be moderating with Chefs Collaborative. Really, Andrew, we want to talk a little bit about what you're hearing from chefs right now. It's that weird, uh, you know, late winter, early spring. There's so much swirling around um, from a political policy, but also just what's in market, what folks are cooking. Um, give us a little bit of a lowdown on what you're hearing and what you're seeing. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I guess, um, you know, I mean, from what I'm hearing and seeing, it's, you know, I think it's a really interesting time uh, in the business. And I can't quite put my finger on why, but I just think so much 
uh, is changing. I think it's kind of a little Dickensian, like it's a little best of times, worst of times for people. Okay. Um, I think certainly in big cities, uh, you know, none of this is really new, but it's also not going away. Um, You know, this issue of... Uh, sort of a uh, shortage of, of cooks out there is, is something that is not going away. The expense uh, of doing business in big cities right now, um, the sort of, actually it was the topic of the very first show we did, which we called Staying Alive, um, the sort of short attention span challenge that chefs are facing in terms of, you know, I would argue it's probably driven by the media, but it's definitely reflected by and shared by the dining public. You know, people who are running restaurants that are red hot, you know, out of the gate within a year or 18 months are not, you know, they're all busy on the weekend, but, you know, during the, the other half of the week, which is crucial to, to keeping a business going, um, are not doing the kind of numbers you would see, you know, quote-unquote hot restaurants doing, uh, you know, even five, seven years ago. Um, I think sort of the happy byproduct of that, and again, I'll point to a guest we had early on our show, it was Gavin Kazin, uh, who went from New York to Minneapolis, is, I think, uh, you know, a lot of cities and towns out there that traditionally, again, not going too terribly far back, but maybe didn't have uh, a dining public that could support, uh, you know, chefs who are trying to be really current or very personal or a little avant-garde. Um, there's now an awareness and a sophistication of food sort of coast-to-coast coast and north-to-south, and... Um, you know, people are sort of, whether by choice or whether out of necessity, and then finding out, you know, it ended up being a great thing. I think going to places where you didn't used to find sort of the top talent. Um, so, I mean, you guys were just down in Charleston, right, for, yeah. the, for the festival. I mean, Charleston's booming from a culinary standpoint. It was almost um, overwhelming. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of years ago when Alan Harding... Uh, you know, who was a chef in the city for years and was kind of considered sort of the Pied Piper of Brooklyn, you know, in terms of chefs, you know, came to Brooklyn, and the way he described it was almost the way gangsters used to talk. You know, he said, Brooklyn's wide open. Um, I think that's true in a lot of places now. So I think yeah. that, I think there's, you know, the, the equilibrium is adjusting uh, around the country, um, which I think is exciting, but I think in some cases probably not for the happiest of reasons. Um, and, you know, a lot of those... You know, every couple of weeks there's some, you know, beloved restaurant in New York. Uh, we hear it's closing. And uh, and then the same thing always happens. That restaurant gets, you know, rediscovered for its last weeks of life. And then, uh, you know, and then it's gone. Um, so that, I think that's a big thing. Uh, food-wise, I mean, we, you know, we always kind of very pointedly say, you know, we're a, a chef show, not a food show. But we did, um, you know, we did just yesterday do a show sort of about the, um uh, eagerness for spring and, and spring cooking. Um, and, and uh, you know, it was really interesting to sort of talk about the relationships, I think, that, again, used to be sort of much more rare, but think, you know, people who deal with foragers or have really deep relationships with farmers out there um, uh, and how that affects what they get their hands on, and then that directly affects what goes on the plate. So, again, um, that's what I mean when I say best of times, worst of times. I think in terms of what's available to people, uh, to chefs, and what they're doing with it, um, you know, it's probably as exciting as it's ever been. Yeah, I love you had um, Amanda Cohen from Dirt Candy, and I always love how candid she is. And she's literally like, I'm lazy. I just work with the same four or five purveyors that I know and love, and they know and love me. And yeah. it's this like virtuous annual cycle of, of 
presentation and discovery and collaboration. And I, I think that is so cool. Well, you are also going to be um, moderating some hot topic short short talks. Uh, we are media partners with the Chefs Collaborative Sum Up, which is coming up um, later on in April. It's the 10th, 11th, and 12th. And I will say, if you're listening, if you're in the New York area, if you can get to the New York area, Today is a, a great day to get tickets for the conference because they're doing a super-duper one-day-only April Fool's, Fool's Day sale. So check out their website for more details on that. But, Andrew, what Are they really doing that, Aaron? They're really doing it. It's show. a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's, a real, it's not a joke. It's a, it's a one-day flash sale. And what's cool is they've also opened up some single-day passes. So if you want to go just on Tuesday to hear Andrew and, and some of the chefs he's going to be talking with. I know you're going to be in touch with um, Kat Kingsman and, and Evan Hanscore, but give us a sense of the kind of hot topics from where you sit and what folks can look forward to from that conversation. Yeah, well, so again, it's going to be a series of short talks, which I'm hosting on what's technically the third day of uh, the summit. And as you mentioned, Kat Kinsman, who was a guest on our um, second-ever show, actually, talking about her Chefs with Issues program. Um, Evan Hanscore from Egg, who's do, uh, talking about why healthy food uh, access for employees is smart business. Um, we're going to have Dan Raz- R- Rosenthal talking about uh, what the title of his talk, Outsmarting the Tricky Business of Meat Misinformation. Um, the producers from Vice are going to be on, uh, the, on the stage that day uh, on why they're getting into meat issues. And Kamal Mazowak, whose name I really hope I'm pronouncing correctly, um, has something that's billed as F Foodies. Um, uh, I won't fill in the little dashes after F. I'll, I'll, spare, you, I'll spare you the explicit uh, label on iTunes. But, um, yeah, you know, again, I think it's like I said a minute ago, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's this real sort of enlightenment or evolution or whatever you want to call it. You know, I think around a business that historically, you mentioned this book I'm writing, you know, historically, you know, in a lot of ways, certainly the back of the house has been a pretty harsh environment. And in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, and then really picking up speed in the last couple of years, there's so many people, I think, who are trying to, you know, it sounds, I don't know if it sounds hokey or corny, but they're they're trying to make it a better place for people, you know, and they're trying to make it a, a healthier profession for people. Um, and they're trying to make it a healthier experience for their diners. I mean, literally what goes in the body, the other things I'm talking about are more sort of interpersonal and, and envir- work environment. Um, you know, but for Evan even to be concerned about, you know, what his employees are eating, um, uh, it's, it's really sort of this... Um, new world order, I think, in terms of how people who work in kitchens and deal uh, with that profession, uh, there's a lot of people just trying to change it, you know, and I I can't quite say why it is that an industry uh, that, you know, traditionally I think has sort of almost lived a parallel, uh, in a parallel universe to progress a lot of, that was going on in a lot of the rest of the world, is all of a sudden kind of you know, getting on track with that, but um, it does seem to be happening. So that's that's what we'll be talking about. And the whole topic of the of the summit, uh, the Chefs Collaborative, which is their seventh one, is good food is smart business. You know, which is a real holistic title. Um, I also know they're really excited. I, I saw this schedule online. I don't know how long it's been there, but I was in touch with Alicia Fowler, who's helping to put the summit together. And Tom Colicchio on Sunday the 10th is going to be introducing uh, uh, Senator uh, Gillibrand from New York. Yeah, um, I think that's. So I think that is new news. I know that's a big gift for them, and they're yeah. they're really excited about that. I, I I'm excited. It's going to be a great. It's going to be a great summit, like it always is. Andrew, thanks so much for for joining us, and I definitely want to. 
point, folks, um, check out the Front Burner podcast if you're interested in chefs and restaurants and what's happening there, how folks are responding to uh, weekly kind of breaking news. They are live every Thursday morning. That's the Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can learn more about Andrew and his work by visiting, once again, his blog, which is www.tokeland.com. Andrew, thanks so much for being our guest today. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, man. And with that, we will close the show, as we always do, with some big ups. All right. Lots and lots to big up. And again, of course, thank you to Big Ups the Band for giving us that little theme song. They are <laughs> currently on their European tour. I'm just going to continue to update listeners on yes, their whereabouts. Get up, mate. Get up. <laughs> Aaron, who you got this week? I um, was really thrilled to get a chance uh, on Monday to speak a little bit more with Rhonda. Um, I want to say it's Cav, but it might be Cave, K-A-V-E, of Ronnie Sue Chocolates. Um, she came to a ladies night event that we hosted and I was so blown away. You know, not only has she been a amazing chocolate maker, um, out of the Essex market for decades, um, she has a history as a professional women's advocate, 10 plus years working with the national association of mothers centers. Um, but the thing that got me super excited is she's currently working on a new project, developing some STEM curriculum around um, how to teach middle schoolers about making chocolate, everything from how the plant grows to the fermentation, the roasting, um, the tempering. It's a really interesting way to get kids involved in biology and chemistry and science by putting this really kind of sensory oriented product in front of them. And uh, I was just so inspired by her. And I have to say, as like one final side note, her she also has produced an amazing um, child. Her daughter runs one of my favorite dessert joints in the city, Butter and Scotch, over in Crown Heights. If you are in that area and craving a banana split, do not deny yourself. <laughs> Good tip. Damn, I wish I learned how to make chocolate. That's very cool. Uh, my big ups, of course, is going to be um, the New York Mets, actually, and the, the team at City Field. I got a chance to go down there with Michael Harlan Turkel and sample some of their new food options. And they're, like, really, really kind of stepping up the game. They had David Chang and his Fuku fried chicken sandwich, which was so good i had two of them back to back <laughs> jack be honest you put one in your backpack and carried it from yeah. the bronx that was the third back to yeah, Brooklyn. That, that was the third one yes <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't help it it was damn good um i would have no reason to eat three of those if i didn't think otherwise <clears throat> but it was it was really fun i actually want to play a very very small clip just Aaron, so you can get a sense of like what we were dealing with here at the press conference this is josh josh capon who is from lord fish bar and bowery meat company and he he was on the food roster last year, and he was uh, kind of showing how excited he was for David Chang joining this year. Last year in my rookie season, we made it to the World Series. Now we got Chang, and there's only one thing left to do. From the movie Major League, win the whole damn thing. Do it. <laughs> a lively scene at City oh, Field. Oh, man. Um, P.S. Shout out to Major League. I love that movie. Right? What a reference. <laughs> How cool is that? 
Um, so yeah, big ups to the City Field team for stepping up their food game, and big ups to like the whole sports media world for being so excited about food. It was crazy. It was a whole tour of the stadium and the new seats and yada yada yada, and everyone got really excited for like David Chang, and you know it's just cool to see food elevated like that in the sports world. So big ups awesome i think that's all we got this week aaron and we are definitely out of time we're way out of time um but thank you for listening to this show and uh we hope that you come back next week and every week forever and leave us a review <laughs> on itunes share it with your friend get in touch with us we're very easy to find it's heritage underscore radio on twitter heritage radio network on facebook um google can help you if you need help finding us but find us say hi we'll see you next week bye Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.